All right, so as we, um, as we get into uh, our, our text today, you heard Greg read from it. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Uh, you go ahead and turn there if you'd like to. There's a, um, if you've got your Bible with you, otherwise there's some in the, in the chair in front of you probably, or you can follow along on the screen. But I uh, would always encourage you, I think Pastor David said this last week, always encourage you to be bringing your word, bringing the Bible with you so you can get used to opening the word and following through with us. Jot some notes in there if you want to, but... But this is a good way for us to, to get started. Uh, here's the deal. One of the things that I think we need to wrestle with as we gather together is the idea that we have a tendency in the church, and this church is no exception. I think we have a, we have a tendency in the church to do this, um, especially the American church. We, we take what is supernatural, and we make it normal. We take something that's mystical, and we treat it like it's common. We take something that is otherworldly, it it is supernatural by definition, and we act ho-hum about it. And so I think what happens is at times, we, we failed to get excited for worship because worship just seems like something normal. It's just a thing that we do. We, we, we struggle to get excited about showing up for church on a Sunday morning um, and gathering together with other believers to sing praises and hear from God's word and, and, and to give prayers to him because we've made it commonplace. And so one of the things that I want to encourage us is, and one of the things that the author of Hebrews will continue to encourage us in as we open his, uh, the word today, is that this shouldn't be common. This is, by very definition, something supernatural. Because as we gather together in this way, we are worshiping the God of the universe, We are worshiping the God who creates and sustains everything possible. Can we see him? No, not necessarily. Can we experience him? Yes, for sure. Is he real? Absolutely. Are we entering into a relationship with him when we come together? For sure. We treat treat supernatural things common. And listen, church, we have to stop. Right? Like, like David said, we, we have to go to church. So it's what we do in the morning. No, 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 no. Listen, this is a supernatural experience where we are gathering together through the power of the Holy Spirit, the unseen God, and through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, who is dead and then resurrected from the dead, that we can now enter into the Holy of Holies to have communion with the God of the universe. Listen, that's not normal. We've got his very word, his words to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, available. These are living and active and able to teach and instruct and admonish and correct and to do something in our lives. This is not normal. But we close it and it sits on a shelf and gathers dust. We have the ability to go directly into the throne room of God and have a conversation with the God of the universe. He creates, he sustains, and yet he still wants to talk to you. More than that, he gives you the privilege of interceding for others 
on their behalf for standing in the gap for praying healing and peace and purpose for them. And yet, we've reduced that to grace before dinner. We, we, we're guilty of taking the supernatural and treating it like it's common. And then, of course, when we treat it like it's common, guess what? We just don't care as much anymore. It just becomes normal. It's easy to skip a Sunday. Tired? I've been busy? It's no biggie. It's easy to sit while the praise team leads us in worship and say, I don't like that song. I'm not going to sing. We stand and lift up our hands. Well, not me. I put mine in my pocket. Safer that way. Because we reduce it to common. And so we treat it common. But guys, listen. It's not common. And we've got to know better. And, and, and that's what the author of Hebrews is, is going to start to, to impress upon us in chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Right, David, Pastor David last week started in chapter 2, verse 1, with this warning, this exhortation to be careful not to drift away. And that drift happens through neglect. When we neglect the things of God, we will start to drift away. In chapter 3, he turns his attention, uh, attention it, it's still exhortation, it's still um, this admonishment to be careful, but this time it's admonishment to not drift away through the hardness of heart that comes from unbelief. You guys know there is a difference between hearing and listening. There is a huge difference between hearing and listening. I know because my wife tells me sometimes. <laughs> that was a joke. I, never mind. Um, I'll pay you $5. Here's, here's the deal. It is, it is not uncommon. Men, I think this is more true for us, but it's true for everybody. For, like, 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 I'm listening to you, but I'm not hearing what you're really saying. And that's a dangerous place to be. It's a problem. It happens in counseling all the time. I have people come into my office for counseling. Um, probably happens to me when I go to counseling. But, but you know, having a conversation, and, and I'll, some of you are like, well, like, wait a minute. Yeah, I said that. I go to counseling sometimes. It's okay. Don't worry. Um, you can go too. It's not bad. Um, it's good for us um, to, to be exploring those things. But, but I go, and, 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 you know, Rob, he's a good guy. Rob will say something, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm listening to what you're saying. He's like, no, no, Matt, stop, stop. Like, like really hear what I'm saying to you. And the difference between, or I say to my office when somebody, you know, I'm giving advice, they come in for counsel and I'm giving them counsel and, and they're like, oh yeah, I got it. I'm like, no, 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 stop, look at me. Like really wrestle with what I'm saying to you. Not just hear it, but, but hear it, right? And there's a difference between listening and hearing. Just like there's a difference between believing and believing. Travis and I were having this conversation couple of days ago about the Cubs. I don't believe in the Cubs for 2020. Now, I believe in the Cubs. I know they're real, right? I know that they have a baseball team. I know, I mean, I believe in their existence. They're going to show up and they're going to play 162 games and they're going to win some and they're going to lose some and I'm going to be frustrated at times and I'm going to be elated at times and I believe in them but I don't believe that they've got what it takes to go all the way this year. It's belief, but it's not the same. 
I'm just kidding. The Cubs are going to win everything. <laughs> Whatever. The point is this. Sometimes when it comes to our exhortation or our admonishment that we need, it's because we believe but we don't believe. And there's a difference. There's a difference between belief that gives intellectual assent and belief that radically transforms the way that you live your life. They're not the same. And the author of Hebrews is going to give us this admonishment to say, you know what, it's time for you to stop hearing but not believing not for real. And what he says is that every time you hear but don't believe, don't really believe, don't put it into practice, what happens is your heart gets harder and harder. And eventually your heart is going to get so hard that no matter what, you just aren't going to be able to listen. Right? And that's not God doing that to you. That's you saying no over and over and over again to the point where finally you won't even be able to listen to what God has to say because your heart will be so hard. And so the admonishment is to believe. Believe. And so that's where the author is going to jump in here. Go ahead and uh, you can open your Bibles and let's, let's get right in there to, to Hebrews 3. We're going to look at Hebrews um, 3 all the way through 14. Um, and then we'll pick up in uh, chapter 4 just a little bit. But it starts this way. This is what the Holy Spirit says. And by the way, that matters. You know that all of Scripture is inspired. All of Scripture is inspired. These are God's words to us. One of the ways that we part fellowship with other churches. There are a lot of churches that we partner with, and we love to partner with other churches. But one of the, one of the areas where we will say, you know what, this is no longer a church that we're willing to partner with. And we will break fellowship with them. We won't partner with them. We won't do things in the community with them is over this. Because this is the word of God, living and active. It's God's words to us. These aren't just good ideas. It's not good moral lessons. It's not just a storybook. These are God's words, and they are not to be trifled with. And so when there are churches that say, oh, gosh, we're not sure we're not sure that this is really God's word. These are good ideas, but they can be changed. It's okay. We say, no, 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 sorry. We're going to break part ways here because this is God's word, right? And so it's important for us to understand that when we read these things, that, that these are God's words to us. And so this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit of God is communicating this to you. And he says, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did uh, when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, saying today, don't let your heart get hard. And the, that word for today, we're not talking about a 24-hour um, time period. Today we're talking about now, while your heart is still sensitive, while you still have the ability to believe, do so. Because when a heart gets hard, it's like it develops scar tissue. And you think if you burn yourself and you develop scar tissue, um, or you get a callus and it just gets thicker and thicker, and eventually what happens is, in that area, your, your skin kind of loses feeling. And, 
And that's the admonishment, right? Is while you still feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, while you still feel encouraged by the Holy Spirit, while you still are able to feel conviction of the Holy Spirit, where you are able to feel squeezed and poked and prodded by the Holy Spirit of God, while it's still today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That's what Israel did. Israel continually hardened her heart to God, even though she had every reason to listen and to believe. Not just intellectual belief, but real heart belief. See, intellectual belief allows us to live in this fantasy land where I think I can be okay with God because I know he's real and I believe in Jesus, but I can just do whatever I want. But I'll be fine because I believe in God. That's fantasy land because real belief changes things. And, and, and that's where Israel struggled. They thought, well, we know God's real, and that's good enough. And over time, they continually tested God. See, what happened is you go all the way back to Genesis 11 and 12, and, and God steps in, and, and he says, okay, he calls an individual named Abram. We know him as Abraham. His name was later changed. And so he calls Abraham, and he says, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you, I'm going to turn you, individual Abraham and his wife, Sarah, I'm going to turn you, two people, into an entire nation. And through this entire nation, I'm going to bless the whole world. And you are going to be numerous, and I'm going to pour blessings out, and it's going to be a big deal. And, and, and so first, what I want you to do is I want you to pack up all your stuff, and I want you to go. Abraham's like, well, where am I going? He's like, I'll show you later. It, it's okay, just go. And so Abraham packs up all of his stuff, and he travels. And he comes to a place where eventually God says this, set up camp here, be here. It's the land of Canaan. And he tells Abraham, this is the land I promise to give to your descendants. This will be their rest. This will be their inheritance. This will be where they will come and settle. And Abraham says to God, that's cool. God, there's one problem. I don't have a child, and I'm old, and my wife's barren, and so I don't know how you're going to give this land to my descendants. And God makes him a promise. It will happen. And eventually, um, Abraham has a son named Isaac. And God renews that promise through Isaac, and Isaac has a son, Jacob. And God renews those promises through Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons, Joseph, he's kind of a snotty kid, but he's got God's favor, and he kind of annoys his brothers, and they go to the extreme of throwing him in a pit and selling him into slavery. Like, I know you want to with your siblings sometimes when you were growing up because they were really annoying. Um, you just were never brave enough to do it. If Mike were here, he'd tell you he probably flirted with selling me into slavery a couple times. Probably tied, tried, couldn't, couldn't get a taker. But anyway, sells Joseph into slavery, and, and Joseph ends up in Egypt. But God's with him, and Joseph, so he, he, he's listening to the Lord, and, and God elevates Joseph to the point where he is second in command to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time. He's second in command, and God uses him to navigate a seven-year famine in the land, and through that Joseph is able to bring all of his siblings and all of their wives and all of their, their children and everyone to Egypt. So, so this, 
this not yet large nation, but this big extended family is now under Pharaoh's protection. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the, on the world at that time, and all of the Israelites are now under his protection. And they live there for 400 years, and over 400 years they grow as a nation until they're numerous. About halfway through that 400 years, about 200 years in, things go bad. And Egypt turns on them and forces them into slave labor. And so the Israelites, the Jews, they become slaves to Pharaoh. And they're forced to build roads, buildings, probably pyramids. And it's harsh. And eventually, Egypt is worried about Israel's numbers. They're growing like crazy. And so they become even harsher. And the oppression to the point where in the beginning of Exodus, we see they've even ordered the death of every male baby to help control the population. And this is where God intervenes. God comes in and says, no, 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 Israel's mine. And he brings 10 plagues. 10 plagues upon Egypt. The 10th, the harshest, the final plague is the plague of the firstborn. Where through God's command, the firstborn child of every family in Egypt dies. Except for Israel. Israel's told that they can be spared this by taking the blood of, an, of a one-year-old perfect lamb. They take the blood of the lamb and they spread it on the door post to their home. And in doing so, the angel of death will pass over their home. That's why Jews still celebrate Passover once a year, commemorating this Passover. And once that plague has happened, Pharaoh and the people beg the Jews to leave. Leave! Go! Get out of the land. And so Moses leads them out of the land. And as Moses leads them out of the land, they have freedom. They are freed from the bondage of Israel. God does it, and they know it. And he leads them through the wilderness to this place at the edge of the Red Sea. But as they're here at the edge of the Red Sea, not sure where to go or how to do it because God hasn't told them yet, all of a sudden Pharaoh changes his mind and he gets all of his armies and all of his chariots and he chases Moses and the Israelites fleeing Egypt. And, and just at the right moment, when it's just time, what he does is God parts the Red Sea so that Israel can walk through on dry land. And as Israel walks through on dry land, Dawson... He's like, man, it's been a long day. Everybody was looking at me earlier and they thought I was cute. Now nobody's looking at me and they, you're still cute, buddy. Here's the deal. So, so Israel goes through on dry land and, and Pharaoh and, and all of the armies of Egypt go to chase through and God closes the sea and drowns the enemy. And then in the wilderness, God leads Israel by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, making sure they know where to go. He's with them. And when they're hungry, he says, I'll give you food to eat. He brings manna from heaven. So when they wake up in the morning, all they have to do is go out and collect the food. 
He brings fresh water. See, but all of these things, here's the problem. God shows up in all of these ways, and they know he's real. They believe, right? The plagues happened. They believe them. The sea parted. They believe it. The manna is falling from heaven. They believe it. But it's intellectual belief. It's not heart belief. They're not surrendered. In fact, all they do is grumble. All they do is grumble. When the plagues were happening, instead of saying, look at the power of God, we're following him. All they do is complain and say, oh, I can't believe God's doing this. Pharaoh's going to make it worse for us now. And then when they left and they got to the Red Sea, instead of trusting that God would do something for them there, they grumbled. God brought us out here to kill us. And then when they got through the Red Sea and God started bringing manna from heaven, instead of just being grateful for what they had, they grumbled that they wanted meat. And God said, trust me, I'm going to give you this bread every day, this bread from heaven to eat, and it's going to be great. Just take today and trust me that tomorrow I'll give you more. But some of them wouldn't trust. They collected weeks worth. And then the next morning it, it had turned moldy and full of maggots. And God says, trust me over and over. But they kept losing their trust in God. They kept losing their belief that God was good and God was for them. Just like Pharaoh quickly forgot to fear God and decided to chase after Israel, the Israelites quickly forgot to trust God and to believe him. And he kept having to remind them that I'm with you and I'm for you. And as long as it was today, he kept reminding them. He kept moving them. He took them to Mount Sinai. Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments. He was gone 40 days and they freaked out. God's abandoned us. We better make our own calf idol. And then it came to a head. They got to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And in Kadesh Barnea, the edge of the promised land, about ready to go into Canaan, the rest that they've been promised for generations, for centuries. They're about to enter in and to claim the rest that God had promised them. They thought first, you know what? Let's send in a spy, 12 of them. One from every tribe will sneak in and tell us, is it really good? And so those 12 spies snuck in the land and they looked around and they came back with a report and they said, guys, we've got good news and bad news. The good news is the land is awesome. The grapes are as big as your fist. It's flowing with milk and honey. And in case you're wondering why that's good, I don't know. But that was what they used to say. Oh, it's flowing with milk and honey. It was plentiful and bountiful, and, and the land was fertile, and everything about it was as good as God had promised. But the bad news, the people there that we're supposed to drive out, they're big, they're strong, they're well fortified, they've got lots of weapons, and they're huge. In fact, the word says that the spies told the Israelites that they felt like grasshoppers in comparison. And so here's what they said. We can't take it. Yeah, God tells us we can, but we can't. Some of them said this, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back there. We'd rather go back to Egypt and be slaves than to trust God and enter his rest. Only Joshua and Caleb argued, no, God brought us here. God will help us take the land. But everybody else said no, and they spread this bad report, and so Israel refused to enter. 
And because they refused to enter, here's what God did. So I was angry with them. Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them, and so here's the deal. In my anger, I took an oath that they will never enter my place of rest. Listen, those are sad words. Because here's what happened. It was today, and the Holy Spirit was prompting and convicting, and they were seeing God show up, and they knew he was real. They believed, but, but they didn't believe, and it was still today, and they still had an opportunity, and they still had an opportunity, and they still had an opportunity, and then one day, guess what? The opportunity was completely gone. There no longer was an opportunity. It got to be a point where they refused to believe, and they hardened their heart, and they hardened their heart, and they hardened their heart, and all of a sudden, God says, now it's too late. Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them to do. So in my anger, I took an oath that they will never enter my place of rest. Listen, church, this is dangerous stuff. Unbelief is dangerous. Intellectual belief is dangerous. Knowing about God but not surrendering to God is dangerous. So here's the admonishment that the author gives. So be careful, dear brothers, sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Make sure that your own hearts don't turn you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. They want, see, so this is what the author says. He's like, you got to know, while it's still today, while you still have the chance, you've got to respond to this. Don't think that just because you've heard the gospel and you've intellectually agreed with it, that somehow that makes real belief. And don't think that because we keep saying the same thing every week that there will always be an opportunity. This is what you know. Listen, the more God pokes you, you know when God's poking you in the heart. You know when God is prompting you. You know when there's still a little hope. Let's stay in the first service. Uh, anybody, Princess Bride? Who's seen the Princess Bride? The Princess Bride rocks. Um, this was the assignment I gave first service. If you haven't seen the Princess Bride, go home. Sit down with your spouse, your kids, whatever it is, open up your calendar, and find a night that you can watch The Princess Bride. And then ask me, and I'll loan you my copy, and you can watch The Princess Bride, because it's a great movie. You should watch it. it um, John said, well, I thought it was a chick flick, because it said princess. No. There's sword fighting and giants. It's good stuff. Anyway, there's a scene where, where Wesley, the man in black, Dread Pirate Roberts, there's pirates. The Dread Pirate Roberts is almost dead. And, and Indigo and, and Fenzik take him to Miracle Max to see if he can be revived. And, and Miracle Max says, well, there's two kinds of dead, right? There's all dead or there's mostly dead. If he's all dead, there's not much you can do besides look through his pockets for loose change. But if he's only mostly dead, that there's hope. Can I tell you, look, if you can still, I don't care how many times you've said no to God, every time you say no to Jesus, whether it's him calling you to salvation or him calling you to holiness, 
Every time you say no to Jesus, your heart gets more calloused. It gets a little harder. But if you can still feel the poke, if you can still feel the prod, if you can still feel the conviction of God grabbing you and holding you tight and saying, respond to me now, then listen, it's still today. There's still hope. But that won't always be true. And so this is God saying, listen, while it's still today, encourage one another. Make sure that your own hearts aren't evil and unbelieving, right? Warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin. See, here, here's the problem. None of us walk away from God on purpose. Few of us walk away from God on purpose. Most of the time what happens is we just start saying no to some things. We start saying no to some things. And the more we say no, the harder our heart gets, and the more we start to turn away. And it feels like it's a little thing at first, but the more we go, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Look, I, I have this picture for you. I don't know why I thought you'd like to see it. It's a swordfish. And... and uh, Here's the deal. Oh, man, I got to keep flipping. Uh, this guy's name, uh, Jay Reeker, took a picture of a baby swordfish. Um, he's a marine biologist in Florida, took a picture of the baby swordfish. That's what a baby swordfish, like, two days old looks like. That's what happens, right? We say no to God, and we think, oh, it's no big deal. I don't, I'm not suggesting you've ever said no to God and thought, oh, well, it was just like a baby swordfish, no big deal. Um, nobody thinks that way. But we say no to God, and we think, oh, it's no big deal. And, and, and sometimes it's no to the gospel, but listen, Christian, sometimes you've accepted the gospel and you really have believed, but you say no to holiness that God's trying to put in your life. You say no to the things that God wants to do in your life. You say, you say no um, to forgiveness because you don't want to forgive, and forgiveness is hard. You say no to sexual holiness because I don't want to be sexually holy, right? I like sex outside of marriage. I like living with my significant other. It's easier. I like pornography or whatever this is because it, it, it makes me feel good in the minute, right? Or you say no. You, you say no to whatever it is that God's putting on you. You say no to generosity. You say no to all of these things that God's putting on you. And you think, oh, well, it's just, it's just one little no. It's no big deal. But every time you say no to Jesus, your heart gets harder. And that little baby swordfish, guess what? One year from then, three feet long and about 500 pounds. Right? They get bigger. Your nose get bigger. You're like, it's just this one little area. No, it's not. It's not. And so while it's still today, listen, don't be deceived by sin. You know, the problem with sin is it, is it seems fun. Craig Groeschel always said it this way, right? Like, like if sin isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. But it doesn't last. Don't be deceived by sin. It offers temporary pleasure. Temporary. You know, pastors say it all the time, right? Sin, sin it, it gets you to go further than you ever thought you would, and it gets you to stay longer than you ever intended. It seems little. But we turn away from God. We do it in unbelief all the time. And the, the, the admonition from Hebrews is don't. Don't do it. 
And, and then he tells us this, right? He says, oh, man, let's just go right there. He says, be- all right. He says, if we're faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Now, this is, this is the sucky part. This is the dangerous part that I want to tell you about. We live in a, in a, in a church age, in a culture where we are big on ritualistic religion. And what that means is that a lot of times what we're trusting in is not what really saves us. Right? Sometimes we trust in our baptism. We got baptized when we were little. That was good. Right? That saves us. We had dedication. Our parents dedicated us to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. So that saves us. We did our first communion. That saves us. Or we did confirmation where we repeated some things about God, so that must save us. Some of us, we say, well, I remember I raised my hand and said a sinner's prayer. That saved me. Or I came forward at a Billy Graham crusade and I came to the altar and that saved me. Listen, those are all good things. But those are all one moment. And what I'm reading here, what what the author is saying, what the Holy Spirit is telling you is that, no, 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 you are saved if you are faithful to the end. If you are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when you first trusted God, then you'll share in all that belongs to Christ. Some of you, you're like, you, 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 you came in hot and heavy, and you're like, yes, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. But since you've said yes to Jesus, you've been telling him no. You said yes to Jesus because you wanted everything he offered, the salvation, the eternal life. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. My burden is heavy. Your burden is light. I'm following you. And then he started telling you what that means. It means you've got to die to yourself. It means you've got to crucify the flesh. It means you've got to be generous. It means you have to love your enemies. It means you have to forgive It means you have to pour yourself out on behalf of others. It means you have to say yes to godliness and no to ungodliness. And you've been saying no ever since. But you're still trusting the first time you said yes, all while rejecting everything else. And you think that the day is going to come and you're going to be all set. But here's what God is saying in Hebrews 3.14. If you're faithful to the end, trusting God just as much now as when you first believed, then you'll share in all that belongs to Christ. You know what that tells me? That tells me there are people that think they're good that aren't. Man, I dropped my clicker and I need it. Because here, here's the other thing. He's not the only one. Jesus said it. Jesus says it in John 8. He said to people who believed him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. You know what that means? If you don't remain faithful to my teachings, then you're not truly my disciples. And when the day comes, you're going to say, Lord, Lord, I belong to you. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. First John says it this way. He says, the people that left our churches, they never belonged to us. They never belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they didn't really belong ever. Some of us have taken all these little baby steps. We've said, no, no. No, all the time. And our heart gets harder and harder and harder and harder. But listen, if you feel that poke and that prod, then here's what I want to tell you. It's still today. It's still today. This is how he ends. 
He says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we tremble with fear because we don't want anyone to miss it. We tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience because it's the good news. God has prepared his rest. For them, rest was entering into a promised land, right? They, 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 entered, they left Egypt by covering of the blood of the one-year-old perfect lamb on their doorpost, and they, and they went to travel to try to enter God's rest, this land. For us, we enter, right? We are free from bondage by the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless sacrifice, and we enter his rest, salvation. He says, I don't want you to miss it because it's the good news that God prepared his rest. It's been announced to us just like it was announced to them. They missed it though. The rest did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listen to God. For only those who believe can enter his rest. So my admonishment for you, my encouragement for you today is it's time to believe and enter the rest of God, because when you say no to Jesus, your heart gets a little bit harder and a little bit harder. But if you can still feel it, it's still today. Praise team, I ask you to come up. I'm going to close this out, but here's what I'm going to ask us to do. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, no, man, God and I are tight. I believe as strongly as I did at the first and I have been saying yes to Jesus in every way I've been saying yes. And I want to say, great, good on you. I want you to pray for the rest of us. Because there are a lot of us here that have been saying no to Jesus. Some of you have been saying no to salvation. And if you're hearing my voice, then here's what I want you to know. It is still today. And this is the time to believe. Some of you said yes to Jesus at salvation, but you've been saying no to something. Something that's, that's not allowing you to enter his full rest, right? It's sin that you're holding on to. Pastor David talked about it. Like, are you ready to have that burn out? Right? For some of you, it's forgiveness that you need to do, or it's a lifestyle that you need to change, or a choice that you need to make. Confession. Some of you, it's as simple as, I need to submit to baptism, and that's ready to go. No time like the present. If that's you and you've been holding on and you've been waiting to submit to baptism and God has been prompting you and poking you, I filled that with water and it's almost hot. It's warmish. And I got spare clothes back here. You got no excuses. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward. The ones that are here, elders in training, whoever's here, come on forward. And I'm just going to invite you. If you want to come and demonstrate belief in some way, for salvation, for confession, whatever it might be, for baptism, there's no time like the present. They're going to sing, and we're just, we're just going to respond if God puts it on your heart to respond. But listen, if he's poking you, don't harden your heart like they did in the wilderness. Say yes while it's still today. Heavenly Father, God, we just love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for who you are. God, we just ask you to be with us. We ask you to continue to convict us and prompt us in our hearts. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And we thank you that you sent your son so that we could believe and be saved. God, we love you and praise you. Amen.